Amen. The walk of faith is not a hundred-yard dash. It's not a straight path. It is very daily. It is sometimes twisting and winding, and there seem to be delays. I want us to think about that and how it applies to our lives as we look at Genesis chapter 15. And I invite you to bow in prayer with me as we ask God to bless his word to our hearts. And now, Father, we come to the scriptures this morning praying that from Abram's life we may glean some thoughts and applications for our own walks of faith. Show us what it means to walk by faith that we may receive from you the blessings you long to give. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a period of time that passes between chapters 14 and chapter 15. In chapter 14, Abraham goes to war on behalf of his nephew Lot. His faith is tested. In chapter 15, again, we see that Abram's faith is at issue and it is tested because not of war this time, but because of waiting. It is Abram's faith that provided the foundation for his blessings from God. What I want you to see this morning is that the same is true for God's pilgrims at the end of the second millennium A.D. It is our faith that lays the foundation for the blessings that we would enjoy from God as well. Your faith provides the foundation for God's blessing in your life. It is important to understand that it's not just the presence of faith, because everyone has faith. The important thing is that faith be placed in a valid, a good object or person. It's in what or in whom you believe that counts. Abraham believed God. And because of that, he enjoyed the blessings of God. It is our faith in God as well that lays that foundation for him then to be able to bring into our lives the blessings he generously desires to bring. I'd like for you to follow with me this morning as we quickly enumerate Abram's blessings that are suggested for us in the text. The first blessing I notice in chapter 15 is in verse 6, at least the first one that I want to point to. It is found in this verse, which is one of the key verses in all of the Bible. It says, Then he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, reckoned it to Abram as righteousness. Blessing number one that came because of Abram's faith was the blessing of personal righteousness. Now this verse is not intended to say that it was at this point that Abram became a true believer. Actually, this verse is placed here strategically by Moses to explain to us that although Abram's faith here had questions, it was his faith that had made him right with God. It paints the background for all of Abram's portrait. His faith in God's promises had begun in Ur, of the Chaldeans when God had called Abram to follow him. It laid the foundation for all of the other things that would happen in Abram's faith pilgrimage. This verse is a key verse 
not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, because it is quoted three times in Romans 4, Galatians 3, and James 2. It is always quoted in the context of salvation as a gift from God, by grace, through faith, that salvation is not the product of religious works. It is God's gift to us. Now I want you to notice the order of what this verse says. It says in the first place that Abram believed in the Lord. The first time that believed is found in the Old Testament. Well, in the Bible, of course. The first time. This word believed in the Hebrew gives us another English word that we used. The word is amen. And so some paraphrase this verse this way, and he amened the Lord. To say amen means more really than to say, so be it. It is an affirmation. It is a statement, a declaration of faith that says, it shall be so. God had given to Abram promises. And Abram said, it shall be so. Amen. He believed in the Lord. Have you come to that very first step in your own faith pilgrimage? Where you have believed in the promise of the Lord for salvation? Have you said amen to the Lord when he says, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you said amen to that for yourself? Abram did and as a result, notice the second action, that the Lord reckoned that to him as righteousness. Again, this is the first time the word reckoned is found in the Bible. It brings before us the idea of imputing something or crediting something. It is the idea of an accountant who places an amount in the ledger so as to create a balance. Abram was bankrupt in his paganism, his idolatry and sin, as all of us are in our sinfulness. But then he believed in the Lord's promise. And the Lord saw that faith and in response gave to Abram righteousness. That is, he gave to Abram a condition before him. Whereas he was right before God, it is a position that God gave to Abram that he did not have before. From this point on, God looks at Abram differently. He sees him not just as a sinner, but as one who is righteous now in his own eyes. The sin question is, is off, off of the focus. And in God's sight is the righteousness that God himself gives to Abram. Folks, we are saved today the very same way that Abram was saved. By believing God's promise. And then God giving to us the gift of righteousness. A new position that we've never had before. No longer does God see us as separated from him and as in sin and under condemnation. But now he sees us in Christ, and he sees us righteous in Christ. 
regarding this verse, Paul says in Romans chapter 4, For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Paul goes on to say, Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Paul says if we try to work for our salvation, then God, we're trying to place God under obligation. And if God were to give us righteousness, it's, it would be due to us. But we can never earn that. We can never work enough to receive that because it's due to us. Therefore, God has wonderfully set aside works as a possibility for salvation. No one will ever be saved because he's a religious person, because he's been baptized, because he's done good things, he's been a moral person, because he's joined the church. No one will ever enter heaven because of those reasons. Not that those are bad things, but God has made salvation on the basis of one thing and one thing alone, and that is the gift of righteousness that he gives freely to all of those who will believe that Christ died for their sins and rose again. Have you received blessing number one? Abram did. Abram did. Notice the second blessing. To receive or to understand this blessing, we need to go back to the first part of the chapter. Time has passed. It's about ten years now since Abram received the promise from God of a physical heir. He and Sarai are getting older. And you can just imagine what's going through his mind. He is saying, where is our child? Why hasn't God given me that descendant that he promised? And it seems that Abram was afraid. He was afraid that God's promise was going to fail. And so the Lord speaks to Abram in a vision. And he says, do not fear, Abram. The very first time, fear not, is found in the Bible. The next sentence he says, I am a shield to you. The first I am in the Bible. One of the I am statements of God. I am a shield to you. In other words, God is saying, Abram, I know what's going on in your mind. You're afraid. You're afraid that my promise to you is not going to come to pass because ten years now have passed since I gave the promise and you still don't have a son. Abram, I'm a shield to you. I will protect you from your fears. I will protect you from your foes. I will protect you from all of your threats. I'm a shield to you. Believe that, Abram. And then God gives not only the revelation of his person, but he gives the repetition of his promise. It is this. Your reward shall be very great. This man will not be your heir. One who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. You see, Abram is despondent. To God's first statement, Abram responds with a question in verse 2. God, Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Since thou hast given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. In other words, one of my servants born in my house will inherit my things. God, I don't have an heir. 
Abram here is sharing a despondent heart with God. Why the delay, Lord? Why the delay? God repeats his promise. Not this man, Abram. Not Eliezer. No. One who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. See, Abram needs to learn here to wait in faith upon God. Just as you and I need to learn to wait upon God in our own walk of faith. And then God gives a reassurance of his power. Notice what he does. In verse 5, he took Abram outside and he said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. God gives here an illustration to Abram of his power. He reassures him. He says, Abram, look at the heavens. Abram, where did those heavens come from? From my word. I spoke them into existence. That's what my word can do in its power. Now, Abram, don't be afraid. I have spoken my word to you also. And its power will eventually become evident to you. The blessing of a physical heir will be fulfilled, Abram. There's the third blessing that is mentioned in chapter 15. It's the blessing of the promised land. The conversation with God continues. God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know? that I shall possess it. Do you see Abram's heart here? His faith journey is not greatly different from yours and mine. How shall I know, Lord? So God confirms his promise. He says, Abram, remember who I am. I brought you out of Ur, and the reason I did was to give you this land to possess it. My promises, Abram, rest upon my character. I'm the one who brought you out to bring you in. So God confirms his promise, and then God covenants with his pilgrim. I'm going to skip over some verses and go to verse 18 to pick up the actual covenant, in which God lays out the boundaries of the land now. Notice he says, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And then God mentions the ten tribes, pagan family tribes, that live in that land at the present time. And God says to Abram, I give you this land. Now, this covenant that God makes with Abram here, and notice that word is used in verse 18, covenant, is based upon the sacrifice that Abram had just made. God told him what to do. He was to take certain animals and split them in half. He was to divide them and then lay the halves of the animals along the journey of faith, along the path. The blood was to be shed. The sacrifices laid out. And then Abram was, as it were, put to sleep. And it was God himself, 
appearing in the form of a fire pot and a torch, who on that dark, dark night passed through those sacrifices. You say, what does all that mean? Well, it's thought by most Bible scholars that it's representing a form of an agreement that was common in Abram's day in which two people who were going to agree to something that was very important, uh, which was to be fulfilled without doubt, did the same thing. They would divide animals, lay them out on the path, and the two of them would join arms and walk down the path together through those sacrificed animals. It was a blood covenant. And it meant that whatever the agreement was, it was to be fulfilled unto death. Very solemn covenant. God passed through these sacrifices by himself. He did not take Abram with him. Do you notice that? There's a reason for that. Because the covenant that God is about to make with Abraham rests upon God alone, not at all upon Abram. It is an unconditional covenant. And God himself, by his great power, will fulfill that covenant. He will give to Abram that land that he has promised him. God confirms his covenant with his pilgrim. And then thirdly, God communicates his plan. Abram's mind is still whirling. God, the delay. Ten years now. I've been walking in this land, living in tents. Why the delay? God explains in verses 13 through 16 what his plan is. <clears throat> he says Abram's descendants will know 400 years of slavery in a foreign nation. God is here talking about Abram's descendants who would go into Egypt and there become enslaved to them and who would eventually be, then be redeemed and Delivered by Moses, who would write this account about Abram. Secondly, God says that he will judge that nation that enslaves them and deliver Abram's descendants along with many possessions. Third, he says, Abram, you're going to die. You're going to be gathered in peace to your fathers. In other words, Abram, not in your lifetime, is this land going to belong to you? And fourthly, God says, your descendants in the fourth generation will return to claim this land. Now why is God doing this? Why doesn't God just give this land to Abram in his lifetime? God says there's a reason, and, and he gives at least one reason here, and that is because the Amorites who dwelt in the land, who were the hill people, in Palestine, a very pagan, uh, evil people. God says that their cup of iniquity is not yet filled. He's using a picture there to say that nations and tribes of people, as it were, have a cup into which their sin is poured. And when it is filled to the brim, then God will bring judgment upon them. In the meantime, God is patient with them. 
giving them time to respond to him, giving them time to repent. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that includes the Amorites. But in a few hundred years, their cup would be filled up. And then God would judge the Amorites by dispossessing them of the land and giving it to the descendants of Abram. Now here's the point I want us to see this morning. It is that what happens here exalts the providence of God. In his all-wise and sovereign ways, he orchestrates even the evil rebellion of man and his own gracious purposes so that there is a perfect result. And we look in our world today and we say, God, why isn't there judgment? God, why aren't you doing something? And God is saying, in our day as he did then, the cup of iniquity is not yet filled. And we can be assured that when it is, then God will act. But that's why Abram didn't receive the land in his own lifetime. Did Abram despair about that? No, he didn't. Because Abram was looking beyond his own lifetime to the future. He was looking for that city whose builder and maker is God. In fact, John tells us a statement of Jesus in the 8th chapter of his gospel, where Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. I don't exactly know what Abram saw or when he saw it. Some think he saw it here in chapter 15. But Abram was able to look ahead and by faith he saw the day of Christ and saw what Jesus would do and he rejoiced. Abraham was not disillusioned. And one day, folks, Abram's going to be resurrected along with all of the righteous so that he and all of us can enjoy God giving this land to Abram in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, I want to come full circle very, very quickly. Put on your seatbelt. Your faith lays the foundation for God's blessings. The first blessing is the blessing of a personal relationship that is based upon Christ's righteousness. Abram established a personal relationship with God through faith. You and I must do that. That's where the journey begins. Have you received blessing number one? It leads to what I'm calling today blessing number two, which is personal hope. Abram had hope for the future. He had questions, yes, but he had hope. And he saw ahead by faith. You and I also have personal hope that is based upon Christ's return. Just as Abram's hope was, though he didn't know all of those details yet. It is upon the return of Jesus Christ that our hope is based. There are some concluding thoughts and applications that I want to give very quickly. And the first one is this, that the walk of faith does not preclude the rise of fear. Some people think that a Christian should never face fear. A Christian will never have discouragement. A Christian will never be despondent. Friend, that is not true. 
Abram here is dealing with both fear and despondency. Because after 10 years, he hadn't seen anything happen yet. And it may be that in your life, you have felt that, that God has delayed and you're wondering, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with God? That's part of the walk of faith. God will show himself in a fresh way to you and assure you that you need not fear. He will be to you as he was to Abram, a shield. The second closing thought is this, that the walk of faith is measured by actions and not words. Abram speaks to God for the first time in this chapter. God has spoken to him several times. But here Abram enters into a discussion with God. And from this point on, when Abram speaks to God, he often speaks with questions. Not necessarily of doubts, but asking for clarification out of curiosity and sometimes doubt. And yet when Abram's life is summed up in the New Testament, he is called the man of faith. Why? Because although he had questions, although he didn't always understand, Abram always obeyed. That's why I say to you that the walk of, the walk of faith is not measured by words, but by actions. It's what we do, not the feelings we have, not the questions that arise, it's what we do that counts. Third, the walk of faith sees beyond the immediate to the future. The future is secured by the promises of God, and you and I need to keep our eyes on that. Even though the present may be unclear, and the walk of faith is taking twists and turns that we never anticipated, you and I need to see beyond the immediate to the future and the hope that is laid up for us. And finally, the walk of faith accepts the apparent delays of God. God seems to delay to Abram in the birth of a son, in the possession of the land. The eventual fulfillment of the promise in Joshua's day came partially. But even yet, it has not been completely fulfilled. But it shall be one day. And we will be a part of that. Now, in your own walk of faith, there are times when God seems to delay. And you say, God, I don't understand why this hasn't happened yet. I don't understand why this promise hasn't been fulfilled, Lord. But that's part of the walk of faith. The walk of faith accepts that. So I hope that you're encouraged in this Old Testament account from, from David's life, or from uh, Abram's life. Abram was a pilgrim, just like you're a pilgrim, in a walk of faith. I exhort you today, walk on. Walk on with God. Let's pray. Would you sing with me the chorus of this old gospel song? Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the end. 
loving arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in the pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear, leaning on the everlasting arms? I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. Our Father in heaven, just as Abram, the patriarch, learned to walk by faith, so may we. May we learn to lean upon the everlasting arms, to walk on in our journey, even when the path takes directions we would never have anticipated. Help us to lean strong in faith and to walk on, even this week, in whatever the journey may hold in your will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.